Welcome to the Tomes and Tropes podcast, where books and friendships collide. I'm Becca. And I'm Carrie. And we're two friends who love to talk about books. Today, we are talking about The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, Part 4. Today's content warning is just a reminder that this book has an age rating of 17+, plus, but we will be doing our best to keep the adult content to a minimum. With that, we will not be spoiling any future chapters in this book other than the ones we are covering in this episode, so if you have not finished part four of this book, go finish reading and then come back to listen when you're done. We are now moving on to our one-sentence summaries, where we summarize each chapter we're going over in this episode in one sentence. A quick note here, we are in New York City this entire part, so that is going to be the setting for every single chapter that we go through right now. We are starting with part four, chapter one, September 2013. Time moves too fast for Henry when he finally meets Tabitha and proposes, but she says no, his friends guessed it, and he feels betrayed. Chapter two, September 2013. A distraught, drunk, and umbrella-pill-filled Henry stumbles home in the rain where he meets Luke and makes a deal that ensures everyone will love him in exchange for his soul. Chapter 3, 2014. Addie and Henry share joy when they figure out how their curses work together, but share sadness when they realize it's only for a lifetime. Chapter 4, March 2014. Henry reflects inwardly while trying to take a picture of Addie, who becomes just a blur, about how pictures are just a piece of time that don't always reflect the truth, and real time isn't like photos. Chapter 5, September 2013. Henry wakes up to people starting to see him, including Muriel, B, the customers at the last word, and Vanessa. Chapter 6, March 2014. When B comes to the store to ask if Henry is avoiding Robbie, she then tells Henry and Addie about her night at the artifact where Addie seems particularly intrigued by her description of the night. Chapter 7, September 2013. Henry feels claustrophobic at his apartment and tries to escape to the merchant where he's enough for everyone but himself. Chapter 8, September 2013. Henry has a day that just really goes his way where he gets Vanessa's number again, Dean Melrose offers him a position, and then B says she wants her new dissertation to be about the mysterious seven-freckled girl. Chapter 9, March 2014. Henry realizes the girls in the paintings B was looking at are all Addie on their way to the art exhibit. Chapter 10, September 2013. Addie explains how she found the loophole in the curse and made her mark through art because art is about ideas. Chapter 11, March 2014. Henry and Addie start through the artifact where Addie sees something new despite being alive for 300 years. Chapter 12, September 2013. Vanessa is in love with Henry, but not really because she doesn't see him, and tries to burn Tabitha's remaining items at Henry's where he forces Vanessa to finally leave. Chapter 13, October 2013. During a movie night, Robbie makes a move on Henry, Ooh, but Henry can't accept it because of the curse and ends up feeling even more lost. Chapter 14, November 2013. When going to a new coffee shop to avoid Vanessa, Henry runs into Tabitha, who seems to want him back, and while he wants the same, he leaves her alone because none of it is real. Chapter 15, 2014. Addie and Henry continue through the exhibits at the artifact when Henry realizes that Addie is better than a pink umbrella and he feels better than he has in a long time. 
Chapter 16, December 2013. After his meeting with Dean Melrose leaves him in a sour mood, he finds Solace in a bottle of whiskey while working, and an off-duty cop only says cheers to him. Chapter 17, December 2013. At a New Year's Eve party, B finds Henry on the fire escape, where Henry asks her, finally, what she sees, and her answer makes him disappointed in himself. Chapter 18, Winter 2014. Henry decides to lean into the curse and become the man everyone thinks he is when he meets Addie, who truly sees him. Chapter 19, 2014. Addie tries to write her name, but can't, as expected. But Henry can write her name and also can write her story. Ooh, that was a great way to end the summaries. It was. Well done. <laughs> Thanks. Clap, clap, clap. So now we're going to move on to our initial thoughts and reactions for part four. Carrie, what did you think of part four? So part four was actually harder for me to get through. Um, but I did love getting Henry's point of view and just learning more about Henry overall as a character. I feel like every part we've gotten to learn more about him, which is amazing. Uh, as a hopeless romantic, though, I really loved getting to hear his point of view from when he met Addie and how it, it was just so different from him right away right away compared to Addie, where it really took her coming back the other the next day to realize like oh this is something different but we are learning a lot about the curses and what they really do so I, I like that but Becca what did you think yeah so it's so funny because I struggled through part three and you loved part three and <laughs> you struggled through part four and I loved part four I didn't feel like it was super emotionally charged except for a couple parts there were a couple parts that I was like "Ooh, like what's going on but I feel like it gave us a lot of answers that we had been asking for a long time. And I also think it was the origin story of Henry that I had really been missing. Mm -hmm. I love a good origin story. And I think that's mm -hmm. why I liked part four so much because we did get that background information about Henry, what his curse was, what happened. And we got the answer to that um, question we asked in the last part about why he had a bloody handkerchief with a mm -hmm. ring. So I loved that. I identified with Henry in this part a lot as we were going through his different um, or through his point of view. I felt what he I have felt what he it was feeling before. And I think that's also another part of why I enjoyed it so much, because I really could identify with the struggles that he was going through. I loved the New York City landscape that we got to go through, that art exhibit Always. on the High Line. First of all, when it said that it was on the High Line, I started laughing because for our <laughs> listeners, too. Carrie and I went to New York City uh, six months ago. Yeah. yeah somewhere around there. And we tried to go on the High Line. And <laughs> it did not work for numerous reasons, one of which was that my leg was broken and I did not know. Mm. But yes. love that story. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that we were on the High Line and we got the art pieces, like I loved that even the descriptions were chaotic, which is exactly what I felt like an art exhibit on the High Line in New York City would be. So I just really mm. loved that part. And I think that's such a nod to 
Schwab and her writing again. Oh, like we've said yes. that multiple times so far, but I have really enjoyed her writing style and I have really enjoyed how she captures the essence of what she's trying to portray in a lot of different ways, whether it's people, whether it's the setting, things like that. So I think it's definitely a nod to her and her being able to use words to express things that we don't always know that we feel, but she can put it into words, which is awesome. So good. It really made me, we have to go to the High Line next time we go to New York City. And then we have have to to. find an art exhibit just so we can channel our inner Addie and Henry moment and just like live our best life. I want to know if the art exhibit, like the artifact is something that actually happens. I'm sure it's probably not called the artifact in the city but i i want to know if that's something like if it was modeled after something or if it was just her creation that she came up with but we should definitely look into that and see if like there's an art exhibit that's very similar and see if we can we can go and compare how how it is in the book i love that idea i think she probably did like model it after because there are a lot of exhibits that are super interactive like that in New York City that I've seen mm-hmm. on my TikTok. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that's she got some inspiration from from those. And that's now we're going to have to go. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, we're going to go see a Broadway show and do the High Line, Invisible Life of Addie LaRue High Line and art exhibit experience that we yes. just created in my head right now. <laughs> we'll plan <laughs> a trip for each book we go on. We have uh, the we have the train trip. <laughs> From Salt Lake City to Philly for Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. We have a New York City trip for The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. We're just going to go on like a little trip. All right, now to our meet cute. So let's look at some of the most notable characters that we got to meet in part four. So our meet cutes. I want to start this section in an unconventional way. Because I have not texted Becca this or talked to Becca about this until we recorded this. So I can't wait to see your facial expression. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so I did text her to make sure she looked up who the new Bachelor is. This is 2024. So the new, I think his name is Joey. I got to pull up the because, picture. Please do. So when I first saw him, I don't really watch The Bachelor, but I really want to watch it for him. Because now I'm, like, putting him together as Henry. Like, I imagine Henry might look like him. Just with glasses. Yeah. So we have Vanessa, a blonde, bold barista who is one of the first people we get a glimpse of the effects of the curse with Henry. She falls madly, emphasis on the mad, like crazy, in love with Henry. Psycho. Oh, Vanessa. They have only known each other for a week when Vanessa says she loves him and then freaks out and burns all of Tabitha's old things. Like, girl, calm down. We don't get much else about her, but we know the curse did a number on her with Henry. So that's Vanessa, our girl. She probably just had a too many espressos that day or something. Too many? That is not a too many espresso problem. <laughs> this, you right, you right. Our next meet cute is Tabitha Masters. She is a beautiful dancer who Henry met after a performance she was doing with Robbie. Um, I do want to know she did see or he did see her on stage performing mm-hmm. and dancing. So 
She is the girl that Henry proposed to that rejected him and caused him to become so devastated that he made the deal. Boo, Tabitha. We don't like her. We but we like kind of like her because now Addie. But she has a huge smile. They worked great together and were together for two years before she broke his heart. Come on, Tabitha. Come on, Tabitha. Our next and final um, meet cute is David Strauss and family. I don't know if I said that right, but um, kind of loop them all together. So David is Henry's brother, who is a doctor. Uh, he follows after everything his dad does and wants to be just like him. I imagine he was like the little kid that like grew up watching his dad and was just like copying everything he did. Um, yeah. Their family is Jewish and they had high hopes for Henry to be a rabbi, but he's a bookseller now. It seems their family dynamic is super odd where Henry is kind of the outsider. David is the perfect son while Muriel is the free-spirited daughter and Henry's just kind of there. Yeah. So those are our me cutes. I love it. I love it. We are going to be moving on to our quotables now. And just a reminder, quotables are the quotes and or parts that we want to highlight and we think are notable um, to highlight and expand on because either we liked them or we didn't or we had some kind mm -hmm. of feel. Today, we're going to start off our quotables just a little bit differently. Normally, we go in chronological order. In this case, we are going to highlight a the poem at the end of chapter one and the poem at the end of chapter 16, and then we are going to go into the, re the rest of our quotables. I'm now, excited. Good, me too. <laughs> now, I wanted to know here both of these poems and kind of give them their due. There's a lot of parallels in these poems, but I am going to read both of them. We're going to start with the chapter one poem, and then we're going to go to chapter 16. And we're just going to read through them and see what we see, feel what we feel, and go from there. Take a drink every time you hear you're not enough. Not the right fit, not the right look, not the right focus, not the right drive, not the right time, not the right job, not the right path, not the right future, not the right present, not the right you, not you, not me. There's just something missing from us. What could I have done? Nothing. It's just who you are. I didn't think we were serious. You're just too sweet, soft, sensitive. I just don't see us ending up together. I met someone. I'm sorry. It's not you. Swallow it down. We're not on the same page. We're not in the same place. It's not you. We can't help who we fall in love with, and we don't. You're such a good friend. You're going to make the right girl happy. You deserve better. Let's stay friends. I don't want to lose you. It's not you. I'm sorry. So that was the part, uh, the chapter one poem. Hmm. Heartbreaking. Now we're going to go to chapter 16, and this is the poem at the end of the chapter. Take a drink every time you hear a lie. You're a great cook, they say as you burn toast. You're so funny. You've never told a joke. You're so handsome, ambitious, successful, strong. Are you drinking yet? You're so charming, clever, sexy, drink. So confident, so shy, so mysterious, so open. You are impossible, a paradox, a collection at odds. You are everything to everyone, the son they never had, the friend they always wanted, a generous stranger, a successful son, a perfect gentleman, a perfect partner, a perfect, perfect 
drink. They love your body, your abs, your laugh, the way you smell, the sound of your voice. They want you, not you. They need you, not you. They love you, not you. You are whoever they want you to be. You are more than enough because you are not real. You are perfect because you don't exist. Not you. Never you. They look at you and see whatever they want because they don't see you at all. (laughs) Both of them so heartbreaking. And they're both chapter one and chapter 16. We get those are both very key chapters that we get Henry's backstory and see his feelings a lot. So chapter one is when we learn that Tabitha just broke broke his heart. Chapter 16, I'm pretty sure, is right after um, he leaves Dean Melrose's office and turns down the job. So we get... Like, that's also after the Vanessa situation. So we get all of these things where Henry's in all the feels because he feels that he is not enough, but everybody else sees him as enough, and it's not him. So I felt a lot of the things that they said in the poem, and for our listeners and for you, Carrie, I don't know if you did too, but just know that if you did, like, we don't know exactly who who wrote them, right? It, like, we know Schwab did, of course, but we don't know if they're coming from anybody in particular in the story. But my assumption here is that they probably came from Henry. Mm-hmm. And just know that, like, if you're in a situation where this is how you feel, like, you are not alone. Like, I've been in situations where th- a lot of those things apply to me in that situation. I know that, like... Other people have been in situations, obviously, like Schwab wrote this, like she has been in a situation where she's had all of those feels. So like, know that you are not alone if you are feeling that way. I don't have a lot uh, else to say other than like, if you're in that season right now, just know that all seasons do expire, the good and the bad, but they do expire. It does get better and it does get better like in real life, not just in a fantasy book. Chapter one. I kind of paraphrase this, so we're skipping some parts, so it's not a direct quote, but Blink and you're halfway through school. Blink and you're 24 and the change will spark something in you bigger and better. Blink and you're 26 and they tell you you'll find your calling. Blink and you're 28 and you're still trying to find it. Blink and you meet a girl or a guy in our case. So I I just thought this quote was just really relatable. Like how you can feel Henry's distress as he moves through time, as he moves through his life stages um, I you can feel it because we probably all have been there at some point in a, or another like I feel like we blink and we're no longer teenagers right now <laughs> like yeah. I cannot believe that like we have moved through life like sometimes I'm just like I'm a whole adult <laughs> what <laughs> I don't like it but it's just very relatable I think we all we all blink and life has just flown by and sometimes we we may feel behind or wrong for our choices that we have made so far but everyone's path and everyone's journey on their path matters no matter how long it takes so whatever your journey in life and that was just a really good encouragement for me yeah so, want to share I love it our next quotable comes from chapter two 
Henry looks over and sees a man dressed in a slick charcoal suit beneath an open back trench, and for a horrible second, he thinks it's his brother David, here to remind Henry of all the ways he's a disappointment. I thought this was so interesting because we get a lot from Addie's point of view of how much Luke looks like the mystery man that she was drawing in, and that's 300 years ago. But as far as we know, Henry is the only other person who has seen Luke, and it references earlier in the book that Luke's, uh, she says something like, why do you, why are you in that form? I don't even want to look at you. And he says, well, have you ever thought that I choose this form because it's like pleasing to you or it's comforting to you or something? And I thought that was so interesting because like, is that, I don't know. I just, I thought that was interesting because like, why would he do that for her? But he shows up to Henry looking almost the exact same way. So first of all, is that actually what Luke looks like? Like, is that his chosen form? Like, why is that? Or is it like, does it just happen to be that Henry, like it says David here to remind Henry of all the ways he's a disappointment. Is it, to is that why Luke shows up the way he does because David is the one who tells Henry that he's a disappointment is that why but if not if that's not the case and that's actually what Luke looks like what does that mean for Addie and Luke that she's been drawing him like she drew him from the time she was a really little girl before the curse what does that mean for them mind blown on a second note here henry is in the worst shape of his life he just got rejected by tabitha he just proposed and she said no and there are a lot of parallels here between when luke met Addie back in 1714 and when he meets henry now in 2013 and they're both down on their luck they're both downtrodden they're both at a turning point in their lives, Addie getting ready to get married, Henry being rejected. This must be Luke's MO for finding victims. Mm. And it's so interesting, the difference. Like, there's there's an MO here, but there's also differences between the two cases because Addie begged for Luke to answer and because he was the only God that answered. But Luke just showed up henry like he just showed up and there wasn't any kind of begging there wasn't anything and really like there like henry didn't ask for that it was luke who offered up the deal which i think is so interesting so lots of parallels there lots of interesting pieces to pull apart but very interesting to me i am loving that That goes really well with my next quotable, which is Mm -hmm. from chapter three. Um, She they're talking about how um, there are different curses and um, she's like, he made a mistake and there is such triumph in her eyes. I was celebrating with Addie here. I was like, let's go. And poor Henry's just confused. But (laughs) (laughs) like, I, I was just like, this is such a win for her. Like, this is a huge win for her because she thinks he made a mistake. I'm not sold on that. I'm not oh. sold he made a mistake. I'm 
I'm wondering if like it's all connected. <laughs> like yeah. she cho he chose Henry on purpose. And since he's only got a lifetime, like, what's going to happen with that? Like, is that her breaking point? Like, he allowed this curse to, this mistake, so to speak, to break Addie and finally get her soul when Henry probably inevitably dies. Yeah. And she continues to live on. So Ooh, I didn't even think I of don't that. know it's like two birds with one stone and he gets an extra soul in the process. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not sold that he made a mistake, but I really want to triumph with Addy right here. Like, let's go, girl. You're thinking hard. That's so interesting, especially since he sought out Henry. Henry mm -hmm. didn't seek him out. That's what I was saying with your, like, I didn't realize, like, he even sought her out or sought him out. But why would he seek him specifically who looks so much like the guy that he or that she's been drawing? That's true. It makes me nervous. Oh. Luke's a god. Like, we can't forget that. Like, he's smarter, more cunning. He's deceptive. Like, I don't think he would make a mistake. Yeah. And so, like, here's a question. Is Luke obsessed with Addie? Very well could be. Because I have a hard time believing that he would go out of his way to curse somebody just for one soul without there being more behind it. Mm. I know we've talked about the New Orleans storyline a couple of times. I really hope we get that soon because I Ugh. think that that will show us a lot about Luke and Addie's relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just very nerve-wracking, but those are my, that's my prediction. Remember, listeners, we don't do spoilers. So, like, we have <laughs> not read parts five through seven at nope. this point of recording. Like. Just be nice to us if we're really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> or if we're really right, we did not intend to spoil anything. Yes, we really didn't. All right, so our next quotable is from chapter eight. It says, look at the angle of her jaw, the line of her nose, and the freckles. Count them. So this is B and Henry talking about how she wants to do her dissertation on this mysterious freckled girl. So there are all seven freckles. And this just gave me so many chills. She, Addie, has found her way from the 17th century of an Italian artist, a French portrait from 50 years later, and one from the 1960s. So she is just making her mark throughout the years. And I just, I'm rooting for Addie here. Our girl is just awesome. And that's another, back to what we just talked about with Luke. I think her determination is what makes him working so hard to get her mm, yeah so she is like probably one of the most determined people he's ever made a curse with he probably didn't expect yeah. her to last 300 years but she is making it she's found loopholes in her curse she is living it yeah okay i'm gonna finally move on from that chapter <laughs> 10 uh muriel again says don't be a stranger so we talked about this in part two 
I believe, about how Sam said this to Addie and Muriel. Sam said this to Addie, and then Muriel said this to Henry. So she just... She says it again. I'm probably just looking too deeply into this, but I I just had to note it again since we talked about it a few episodes ago. Our next quotable comes from chapter 12. It says, she uses words like outgoing, funny, ambitious, and the more she talks about him, the thicker the frost in her eyes, the more it spreads until he can barely make out that color under that color beneath. And Henry wonders how she can see, but of course she can't. That's the point. This part stuck out to me for a couple of reasons. Um, first, in Henry's curse of being enough, it's not actually that he is enough. It's that people see what they want to see, which makes him enough in their eyes. It's not that he is enough. It's what they see is enough, which is t- two very different things. So he's really not much better off than he was before because he's he is still not loved he is still not enough, but the fog changes the perception of what he is, and that is what makes them enough. So, like, he's still in this awkward, like, it didn't solve his problem. It just gave him a different, like, I don't know. It gave him a different problem, I guess. Mm. But I wanted to revisit what Addie sees in him. So we just did, like, Vanessa, this is Vanessa's talking. She was using words like outgoing, funny, ambitious. But Addie, um, in in part two, I think pretty early on in part two, we get this conversation. And Henry asks, what do you see when you look at me? And Addie says, I see a boy with dark hair and kind eyes and an open face. I see someone who cares perhaps too much, who feels too much. I see someone lost and hungry, the kind of person who feels like they're wasting away in a world full of food because they can't decide what they want. And it's so interesting to me here because like everybody else, when they describe Henry is they're very nice adjectives. Like even B is like, Mm -hmm. you're funny, you're an amazing friend, but like all those things. But Addie, what she says is not actually, like, nice (laughs) if we really want to dig into it. Like, she basically tells him that he's lost and he doesn't know what he wants in the world and can't make a decision to figure it out. Like, he is just living and, like, being blown by the wind. He doesn't really have a spine or anything. But all of those things are true about Henry. And when she sees him for him regardless of what or who he is like all she needs from him is to remember and that's what makes him enough and i just really i don't know henry doesn't need or addy doesn't need henry to be anything different than he is except for remembering that she exists and i just love that Uh, i love henry Chapter 16 is our next quotable. It says, choosing a class became choosing a discipline. Choosing a discipline became choosing a career. And choosing a career became choosing a life. And how was anyone supposed to do that when you only had one? In our last book we did, we had the, like, it was the quote about adulting being, like, too (laughs) tedious or something. I related to that quote so much. I've never related to a quote more than this one about choosing, like, how is anybody supposed to choose a discipline, a life when you only have one? Like, I struggle with that so much because, like, 
I've been working professionally for probably five or six years now, and I still have no idea what I want to do. I could not choose a discipline in school. I chose psychology because I like the brain, but it was honestly because I couldn't decide what I wanted to do after undergrad, and it gave me the most options because I could have gone to med school, I could have gone to business school. Understanding the basis of psychology principles like help you wherever you want to go. So that's literally why I chose psychology because it was the path that gave me the most options afterwards. So <laughs> like, again, I still don't know what I want to do. I'm still like, if I could go to school for the rest of my life and do that for a job, that would, I would love that because I just love learning. I love new things. I love all, all the I like the classes and the learning and all those things. So I definitely identified with this and yeah, I don't have anything else to say because I'm still here. <laughs> I love that. I, I, we, Beck and I talked about this, I think on the phone the other day, just like how much she related to this. And it's funny because I was telling her like my husband is very much the same way as her, just like mm -hmm. very like, a learner like very good at a lot of things like um, interested in a lot of topics so I just Henry is like very relatable because either you identify like with him yourself or you know someone who is like that and I just it's so good yeah all right next quotables chapter 18 um, it's a quote she sees the truth and he doesn't know how or why only knows that he doesn't want it to end because for the first time in months years in his whole life perhaps henry doesn't feel cursed at all for the first time he feels seen so this is very different from addie's reaction to him remembering her because it's beyond the curse it is just him being a man who feels seen mm. so at first like addie's reaction was oh my gosh he remembers how does he remember oh my gosh like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh yeah and then henry is just like like, wow, like yeah. I, for the first time in my life, she sees me, someone sees me. And I just, I just, I'm so happy for Henry, but I just have this terrible feeling. And it's probably related to me seeing some TikToks of people crying at the end of this book, but have a fe bad feeling that it just won't last and this thing won't last between them. And I'm just nervous, but I'm really happy for Henry in this moment. Yeah, I'm very nervous too. <laughs> I love them so much. <laughs> <laughs> but my next quotable is from chapter 19. It's just that Addie draws again. So this is super notable because she hasn't been able to do in this in 300 years. Obviously, she's not actually drawing. Like, it's Henry drawing and she's, like, kind of moving him, I think. Um, but I just love this imagery of them, like, him being the loophole to her being able to do something that she hasn't been able to do for 300 years, but also like is her passion. Like she's, she started the book and she's drawing with her dad. And like, that's just a fundamental part of Addie that she hasn't been able to do in so yeah. long. It was so good. So Becca, what is one hobby or passion you would go crazy for if you couldn't do for 300 years? That's such a good question. I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach. Okay. Because technically reading, but I mean, 
with all like the street signs and all those things, like I'd still have to read. Um, but I think like color coded writing. Mm. So like I love color coding things when I take notes. I have like three different colors of pens and they all mean different things based on what I'm taking notes on. And I have a huge whiteboard in my office that I color code things when I'm trying to brainstorm. Like I have to see it in color um, for it to make sense to me. And I think the lack of being able to write in color or organize organize my writings in color like that would be so difficult for me because even when like I'm doing like my daily journaling or my daily devotions like that's something that I use color for like I organize my thoughts on paper in color so I think that would be that would be it for me I like that a lot yeah how about you oh I know I asked this question but I couldn't decide (laughs) (laughs) I think for me specifically it would be which is funny because I don't do this enough, but like playing piano, like mm. I don't do it enough, but I feel like I'd go crazy if I couldn't do it. Like we were in, we are staying in a house where like we didn't have all our stuff for six months mm-hmm. and I wasn't able to like play or anything, but that's when I wanted to really badly. Mm. So I feel like I would have that like great desire to, to play if I wasn't able to for 300 years. Yeah. Yeah. Good thoughts. And our last quotable comes from chapter 19. It says, and then she is pulling him away, away from the maze, away from the people stretched beneath the starless night, away from the carnival of art and the island. And he realizes she is not pulling him away at all, but toward something, toward the ferry, towards the subway, toward Brooklyn, toward home. This quote gave me major Hamilton vibes. Mm-hmm. It made me think of that one line where Hamilton says, like, if you stand for nothing, Burr, what do you fall for? And we get to see that. <laughs> we get to see that Addie is finally able to run towards something. She's really been running away since mm. um, that time in 1714, really since the time she like since she was cursed because she had to run away from Isabel she ran away from her parents she ran away from the um, men in the stable and the women getting the getting the bread like she's been running for 300 years and she finally has a reason to run towards something and she is running towards what Henry calls home And I loved that he called it home here because we see earlier in part four that he doesn't think of his apartment as home anymore after Tabitha because I never realized that. Yeah, it like I think (laughs) but it does, it says like I like it's one of the openings of one of the chapters. I can't remember which one, but he like puts all of the stuff in the box and then he like can't stand to be in there anymore. And that's when he goes to the merchant. So not only does she start thinking of his apartment as home, but she is helping him to start see his apartment as home again, which I thought was just so, so sweet, you know, that it can be a home. And then lastly, and this isn't really part of the quote, but at the end of this chapter, they start writing and 
earlier when Addie is going through his room, she finds all of these notebooks that are that have nothing in them. And I thought that was like when they get home, the first thing she does is go to find a notebook that doesn't have anything in it and a pen and give like give him the pen and paper and start writing. And just the fact that like she she needed him to have a pen and paper that he could write on and that he had all of those blank notebooks and that's even more of a reason that he is enough for Addie because he had exactly what she needed in the time that she needed it which I just thought was so sweet but in that I do have a question Carrie I think I have a, a couple questions okay so the end of chapter 19 is very similar to the start of the book do you think that this book is Henry writing Addie's story? I have a confession. I saw this question when I was doing our outline, and I wish I could have had a real reaction because my mind is freaking blown. I hope so. I really, really hope so. But that also scares me. But I think like he would tell it in such a because we have Addie's point of view and we have Henry's point of view like we she he could write down her point of view since she's unable to mm-hmm. and then he obviously can write his own POV so I think it's probable and if Schwab did that to us I'm gonna be so happy and sad well the reason that I thought about this is that the chapters are so short and they're they are like diary like like we Mm -hmm. get some chapters that are literally like a page right Mm -hmm. um and they're also kind of disjointed like they're very much memories and they're very much Mm. um the pieces like how the story like if you look at the timeline it's how Addie would have told the story you know like to another person so that's kind of why um why i think that it's possible that this could be henry's book and i mean i don't know if you noticed this but the writing i guess um when we look at what Addie sees like in the past we get a very descriptive we get very descriptive writing. We have the setting, we have the time, we have, we don't get a lot of feelings necessarily from Addie, except for when we get like the curse and those kinds of things, which are monumental, but um, we don't get a lot of like flowery language, I guess. Mm -hmm. But when we get Henry's point of view, especially in this part, we get a lot of personal liberty in how the story is told so we get the blank section where that was like Mm -hmm. four paragraphs of like blink and this happens blink and you're 26 blink and you're 27 you're you're getting rejected and all of those things um so you get a lot of the creative licenses i guess that in um henry's point of view that you don't really get in addies um so i don't know i think a lot and you get the poems like that's not something we get at all from anywhere in Addie's point of view. So I don't know. Yeah. I think that there's definitely some evidence to point that Addie or that Henry is the one that's writing this book. It's just mind blowing. 
Ishrab did that 10 out of 10. Well done. Yes. Thanks for the heartbreak. <laughs> and since that was our last quotable, we're going to be moving on to our favorite quotes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go first. Um, my favorite quote comes from chapter two. It's actually from Luke. He's telling Henry that pain can mm. be beautiful. He says, exhaling a cloud of smoke. It can transform. It can create. And I love that because we always hear like iron sharpens iron or like diamonds are created under pressure. Mm -hmm. And artists typically like artists become artists because of heartbreak and because of the hard times in their life. And then like they're the ones who are creating out of the feelings that they're having, which most of the time is painful. So I don't know. I just loved that. Um, And it's almost true. Like you can't appreciate the good times without the bad. So I just like, I don't know. I just like that little, little quote. I didn't like that it came from Luke, but it's fine. Whatever. (laughs) That's a good quote. Mine is from chapter 15 and it's from Henry's. Yeah. Henry point of view. So it says when Henry is with her, Time speeds up and it doesn't scare him. This is just my hopeless romantic coming through. Mm-hmm. Yay, Henry. Okay, our next section is the timeline recap. So as a reminder, this section is intended to pull significant events from the book in chronological order since we don't get it in chronological order in the book. We're focusing mostly on the significant parts, so not everything is in here, but... We are including the things that I think are directly going to affect the outcome of the story. So as a reminder, we're revisiting things from part one, two, and three and adding part four. There's not a ton that was added, but we're we're covering all four parts here. So we start in 1968. Seven-year-old Addie lives, leaves, Vivon. 1968. What did I say? You said 1968. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> it took me like <laughs> 10 seconds to the process. Like, wait, just kidding. So 1698, seven-year-old Adeline leaves Vion for the first time. 1714, Addie strikes the deal with the god who answers after dark, and she quickly learns the rules of her deal, makes her first deal, and gets injured for the first time, but heals quickly. 1715 is the first anniversary where the darkness shows up after she drugs the man. 1716, the second anniversary where the darkness walks her back to her house after she steals a dress. 1719, the fifth anniversary where the darkness shows his power by entrapping the servants for dinner. 1720, the anniversary where the darkness doesn't show. Heartbreaking. 1724, Addie meets Remy, steals the Voltaire, and starts to learn to read. 1751, Luke ruins Madame Joffrey's dinner party. So those are all the, quote, old timeline updates. We didn't have any updates from part four in those. We are going to be jumping 299 years um, to September 2013, when Tabitha rejects Henry's proposal and Henry makes a deal with Luke to be loved. So I think that's a pretty big piece. 
And then we're jumping another year, well, about six months, to March 12th, 2014. Addie meets Henry, who remembers her when she tries to steal a book. March 13th, 2014, Addie tries to return the Odyssey when Henry remembers, so they go out for drinks and dinner, and Addie is finally able to tell somebody her name. The next day, Addie and Henry go on their first date. March 15th, Addie wakes up and Henry remembers the night before, so we get that nice little morning breakfast scene. March 16th is the dinner party with B and Robbie and the other friends where Robbie's just a jerk. Had to throw that in there. Always. <laughs> March 17th, 2014, Addie comes clean about the deal she made, and so does Henry. And then March 18th, Henry is able to write Addie's story. So good. So our next segment is our timeless treasures, where we go over the art piece of each part so each part has a different art piece so we get to go over that and kind of interpret it so at first i'm going to read the the part of the book that it is describing the art piece so the title is open to love the artists are muriel strauss design and lance herringer manufacture the date is 2011 the medium is aluminum, steel, and glass sculpture. The location, it's on loan from the Tisch School of Arts. I probably am saying all of these names wrong, so apologies. Description, originally displayed as an interactive installation in which the aluminum heart perforated by small holes hung suspended over a bucket. On a table beside the metal heart, jars of varying shapes and sizes contain different li- colored liquids, some water, some alcohol, some paint, and participants were encouraged to select one of the glass jars and empty the contents into the heart. The liquid instantly began to leak out with a speed dependent on the viscosity of the substance poured. Background, this sculpture formed the central piece of Strauss's senior portfolio, a collection of work on the theme of family. At the time, Strauss did not specify which member of the family was paired with which piece, but insisted that Open to Love was designed as an homage to the exhaustions of serial monogamy and a testament to the dangers of unbalanced affection. The estimated value is unknown, and the work was given to Tisch by artists for permanent installation. So... I think we are getting an entirely different art piece because we have Henry's point of view in this part, which I do kind of like. We are taking a step back from Addie's, so we get a little bit more of Henry, which I just love. And we get Muriel, so we already know the artist again, which is great. I loved when we got Sam's artist and we knew her. So this is just my opinion, and it's probably true, but... um. I'm guessing we're it's reflecting Henry and his curse, kind of. I think it's mostly reflecting his broken heart with Tabitha and just how he hasn't been able to find his love. Um, but I, I think it also unintentionally reflects Henry and his curse, like how badly he wants to be loved and seen. But when he is loved and seen because of the curse, it leaves him with his scars still that just allow the love to not to stick, but to seep through, leaving him feeling just as bad as he started so this is just my interpretation it's really short but i would love to hear any others interpretations can you remind me what when the art piece was created 2011 so it was two years before he she rejected him okay so I'm, i'm wondering if it was like maybe the heartbreak with robbie since she was the only family member that knew about him 
Um, could have been Tabitha. I mean, it could just be like Henry as a person, like that she knows. Yeah. So yeah. it's very interesting. Lots of things we could take from that. Yeah, for sure. Our last segment on Addie LaRue is the sevens. Again, there's a regular occurrence of the number seven in this book, starting with the seven freckles that litter Addie's face. So we're calling attention to all the sevens that we see in each part. We have a list of eight sevens, starting with the seven freckles on her face, the seven parts in the book, seven loves she will have, seven lives she will lead, seven gods watching over her, seven stars on the cover of the book, seven art pieces, seven language, and the seven languages. So we, I didn't notice any additional sevens in this part specifically. This was, I felt like really more of Henry's point of view that we got more than like what additional pieces of Addie that we're getting. So the only thing that I can really think of is the art piece that you just went over, Carrie. So Mm -hmm. do you, are there any that I may have missed? Not not that I could find. No. So if we missed any. Let us know. Yes, listeners, please let us know. Okay, so on to our weekly recommendations. Carrie, do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, mine's not very fun, but it's been super helpful. Um, I I bought a laptop razor recently. It was only like 10 bucks, and I have two screens. So at work, I was like leaning down to look at my laptop. Mm. So I got a razor, and it's just really helping my neck pain. So 10 out of 10 recommend it's for the work from home and corporate girlies so 10 out of 10 definitely recommend nice my weekly recommendation is the styla huge extreme lash mascara i have really sensitive eyes so any typically like if i buy a new mascara like i have to test it for a very short period of time and know that like I can't go out because my eyes are so sensitive and this mascara I've been using for probably almost a year now and it doesn't irritate my eyes. I think it gives me a lot of like length on my lashes, which is kind of what I look for and it stays on all day. It, I don't think it's waterproof. I don't think it's meant to be waterproof, but it's um it stays all day for me like even if I cry like it still stays on my face which is nice so highly recommend saying yeah yeah well thank you so much for listening to us today for more content make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok it's at tomes and tropes pod or if you have thoughts about this episode or this book or any episodes really please just Mm. email us at tomesandtropespod at gmail.com yeah we'd love to hear your thoughts on if you think henry is writing this story did we miss any sevens and what do you think muriel's art piece signifies we'll see you next week stay curious keep reading and craft craft your your own own story. story